This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Now, from BetQL, it's time for the Daily Tip with Michael Jenkins. Dang it, he's talented, and let's be honest, I go for ambition, not luck. And Chelsea Messenger. Don't kill the messenger, or the messenger will kill you. Hey, Dad, don't forget about me, the dunkster. Presented by BetMGM. It is the Daily Tip from BetQL presented by BetMGM on a Thursday. Coming up on this edition of the show, one of the true legends in all of sports walks away for good. We will go into the retirement, which shocked us all yesterday. Nick Saban walking away from Alabama. We will settle in at 620. Look at NFL playoff futures with Super Wild Card Weekend approaching at 640. Back to basketball as we check out NBA futures. Then during the 7 o'clock hour, the latest football news, including Pete Carroll getting the boot in Seattle, sort of, and a college football game that never gets off the ground. We will handicap the NBA at 720 and put together our show parlay at 740. Finally, during the 8 o'clock hour, we finish strong with two great guests, Chris Mack from the BetQLU podcast and TJ Reeves, sideline reporter for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then it's the Donkster and our best bets at 845. Oh, no memo needed. Twinsies, me and you, Chelsea, not exactly the same, but we look pretty close with what we're wearing today. It's definitely coordinating, although I will specify that mine is definitely peach. I can see where it looks orange on the monitor, though, but it's definitely not the same color. This is more like a salmon, coral, peach, Mm, whatever. But, Jenks, whatever will we talk about today? You know, sports have just been so slow lately that I don't Mm. know. We're just going to have to find something to talk about, I guess. Yesterday, it just I was scrolling Twitter and just nothing popped up. Gasparilla Bowl, time to go back. We never really dove deep into that, so maybe we could do that. I don't know, Major League Baseball futures, what's going to happen in the CFL. I think we have the UFL in the spring, which is a combination of the USFL and the XFL. Chelsea, take your pick. I know. Um, All right, so more seriously, obviously we are being very sarcastic. Do you remember where you were? when you read the tweet that Nick Saban was retiring? Because this felt like one of those moments. Do you think this is the most shocking headline that we have seen in the last 
five years. Like I'm trying to rank like retirements mm -hmm. and like announcements. I feel like this has got to be one of the bigger ones. Like Tom Brady unretiring. That was mm -hmm. pretty shocking. Didn't think that one was going to happen. Nick Saban, I feel like we saw little cracks under the armor that it seemed like he was, I'm not going to say losing his edge, but he's definitely been a lot softer over the last couple of years. So we kind of saw it a little bit, but still, he's not that old. Uh, where do you think this ranks? It's certainly up there because you're not talking about just an icon in college sports. You're talking about an icon period. There are very few sports figures that transcend their respective sports and become known because of their force of personality or because of how much they win. And certainly, Nick Saban fits that bill. If you ask me where I was, I know exactly where I was. I was settling into the couch with the lovely Catherine, and we were going to spend about an hour watching Dateline or something. And I said, oh, I got to go. I got to go work on the show. It was a big deal. Then I got a text from my sister-in-law, and she only texted me randomly. She was like, oh, my God, Saban retired. So it's one of those things that absolutely affects even residual or sports fans who are just right on the edge of following college sports. You don't have to be a hardcore college football fan to know the impact of Nick Saban. So as far as where it ranks in the past, what, decade, I would certainly say it's maybe top five. I don't think that's an exaggeration. I don't think so either. Either Like as far as some of the biggest names in sports, like Nick Saban's up there. Like I know people are talking oh, yeah. about like he's one of the greatest college football coaches ever. But even in the realm of sports in general, he's one of the best to ever do it in any sport. So I think you're right. He kind of transcends just about everything in college football. And let me tell you something. I lived in the state of Alabama. Nick Saban mm -hmm. was far more than just a football coach to that state. Because think of the state of Alabama. They don't have pro sports. They don't have a lot going on. They don't have major cities. But they do have college football. And Nick Saban meant so much to that community because it was a point of pride for the entire state. So I'm sure the state of Alabama is in shock right now. This has mm -hmm. to be probably, you know, the most momentous news since something regarding Bear Bryant because it's crazy. Alabama has had mm -hmm. two, you know, incredible head coaches. So when I say, oh, nobody's going to fill the, show the shoes of Nick Saban, it's impossible like, it's been almost done before, which is wild mm. at Alabama. So we'll see who the next head coach at Alabama is. Certainly massive shoes to fill. I don't know about that. I mean, when you think about Alabama, it's Bear Bryant and Nick Saban. People have short memories. They forget that before Nick Saban, Alabama went through a rough spot. And memories work like that. And yes, when you talk about blue bloods in college football, when you talk about college football history, Bama is right there with anyone. However, the idea that you can just go into Alabama and have immediate success is not true. There was a long gulf there, and then they brought Nick Saban in from LSU, and then he started winning. But there's no guarantee that just because you go to a blue blood, you're going to win. Certainly, you have the tools to win. But look how long Michigan was sort of wandering in the desert, losing to Ohio State, and now they're finally back. Look at Texas for 15 years, just sitting there waiting for someone to come in and get it right. So, yes, all of the 
all of the things that you need to be successful are there in Alabama, but certainly the next coach that comes in has no guarantee of success, particularly when you're talking about Nick Saban. And let's not forget, by the way, that at the beginning of the year, Nick Saban was getting criticized a little bit. That's how hard that job is. How quickly have we forgotten that after that loss to Texas, what do we hear? Maybe Saban's lost it. Maybe it's his time. Oh, yeah, he made the college football playoff. That's the pressure associated with that job. But no question, he's walking away as the GOAT. Right. That's. I feel like that's not what I was really saying. I'm just saying it's crazy to me that they have had two legendary coaches, even in the history of their school, because most coaches don't even have one. So it felt to me when Nick Saban got there, Bear Bryant was the guy, you know, the houndstooth. He was the legendary, mm-hmm. legendary force that I feel like nobody thought would ever be supplanted you know, in Alabama history. And then you're right, Nick Saban got there, turned the program around because when I was growing up, it was Tennessee that ruled the roost in the SEC. And Alabama, we were always kicking down on them, saying, oh, poor Alabama fans, maybe next year, guys. Uh, And then how Mm -hmm. the tables have turned. So we'll see what happens at Alabama. And I'm wondering how it affects the recruiting because when you have such a face that is the head of your program, and he retires, do you think they're losing recruits because of this? Well, they certainly will. Last night they had Ryan Williams, who was an absolute burner of a five-star player, arguably, I mean definitely by all accounts, a top five high school receiving recruit in the country, and immediately he decommitted, and now he's going to look at Texas A&M. I know Texas really wants him. They wanted him before he committed to the Tide, so... You're going to see now, I believe there is a 30-day window, a portal that will open whenever a coach walks away. That's one of the newer rules. You have a right as a college football athlete to look around because the guy that recruited you is no longer there. So that's why Alabama, if you're a Bama fan, you would hope there is a plan in place to make sure that you have a seamless as possible transition to make sure you keep those recruits in place. Otherwise, they're going to look around, and other coaches from other schools will try and poach that roster, and why not? Arguably the best roster in the country or certainly top five. It's wild to me how I think a few years ago, the man that looked to be in line for the job was Dabo Sweeney, and last mm-hmm. night, students at Alabama were chanting, anyone but Dabo. So I didn't know that people hated him so much at Alabama, but clearly they don't like him enough to do a chant there. But he's actually one of the favorites. You know, if you looked at the offshore betting odds to, you know, be the next head coach at Alabama, and certainly he has the resume and somebody who went to the University of Alabama, it feels like a logical candidate, but I don't know why Dabo Swinney would leave the ACC. It feels like a much... I'm not going to say easier job because no job's easy in college football these days. But still, do you really want to go to the gauntlet of the SEC? I feel like it is a good job at Alabama, but it's not going to be an easy one. I don't think Dabo would leave because Alabama won't take him. Honestly, Dabo has not adjusted to the current landscape of college football. He doesn't believe in the portal. He hates NIL unless it's the name, image, and likeness of Jesus. That meme has gone around for a long time. So honestly, I think Dabo would have to adjust on the fly. The people at Alabama know what it takes. They understand what it takes to win in today's college football landscape. Dabo has refused thus far 
to adjust. Let's continue talking about Nick Saban again. He has retired from college football here on the Daily Tip from BetQL, presented by BetMGM. Saban is 72, went 17 seasons at Alabama, won more than 80% of his games, won six national titles, seven overall. Remember, he won a natty at LSU in 2003. We're talking about a five-time SEC Coach of the Year, two-time Walter Camp Coach of the Year, won 11 SEC titles, 11 overall, nine at Bama. And then to me, what is most remarkable is he went seven and six in his first season with the Tide, and then after that won no fewer than 10 games for the next 16 years. Let's look back at some of his greatest moments ranting and raving against us the media you do what everybody else in the media does just create some and throw it on the wall and see what sticks which is what i see happening everywhere why why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us and we'll play them we'll play anybody you can get to play us you know all that stuff you write about how good we are and all that stuff they hear on espn it's like poison you know what i mean it's like taking poison like rat poison so we're going to play everybody who can expedite winning the game that's what, that's what we're going to do. So I don't think anybody should expect us to do anything else. Do you guys take math? Do you have math class? Not anymore. <laughs> Can, did you learn how to add when you did have math class? Like 22 and 3 make 25? I mean, if I could tell you why you asked that question, I, hell, I wouldn't be up here. Right? I mean, so how do I know why we didn't practice good on Wednesday? Now you all scared to ask another question? Just some of the greats from Nick Saban over the years. And and to the broader point that he is an icon, if you're going to be an icon in any sport, Chelsea, part of you has to be likable. There has to be a reason for people to latch on to what you're doing. Tom Brady certainly has a likability factor. Jordan was the same way, even though he was an assassin. And Saban very much embodies this idea of what you would think a head coach is. I don't know anyone that dislikes Nick Saban. You might say, I hate Alabama. I went to Auburn. I hate the Tide. Fair enough. But most college football fans love Nick Saban. He is a beloved figure, which is why he's being celebrated today. I think he's beloved because he's a winner. I wouldn't say it's because of his personality because I covered Nick Saban at my first job when I was in Alabama. And those quotes are more reminiscent of how Nick Saban was for most of his career. He was very feisty. If you asked a bad question, he would let you know it. That's why I said he softened up over the past couple of years where he wasn't really like this. Like he feels like more likable over the last two years, but I don't know if I'd say likable. Like, listen, oh, I, would. I think as somebody who lived in Alabama and covered his press conferences and was standing in the press room with the other reporters, right? they respected him, but he wasn't like a f- warm and fuzzy creature. Like people respect him because he's a winner. Like I think it's the well, same deal with like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. These are not yes. guys that are warm and friendly, but people respect them because of the due diligence, the discipline, and the respect of their craft. Well, of course, those things go hand in hand. You can't be lovable unless you're winning, because if you're not winning, then people are going to eventually force you out. And also feelings like that are not stagnant. 
Opinions can change over time. They can evolve over time. You said at the top of the show that Nick Saban has softened over time. And so I think that's part of it as well, where maybe early in someone's career, they were a little more rigid and a little more harsh. But over the scope of their career, over time, they soften a little bit and you come around to who they are because you understand them better. But yes, at the end of the day, It is all about winning. You're not going to have an elongated career. You're not going to have sustained success unless you are winning. So those two things definitely go hand in hand. If you're losing, you're out. And every now and then you'll have a a coach who, okay, I like him, but he's not winning. And then they're forgotten about. But Nick Saban certainly is someone who will go down as arguably, and most people would say now, especially in today's college game, the greatest college football coach of all time. It is so hard to win in today's day and age, and no one did it better than the great Nick Saban. Coming up next year on the show, which players will step up their game in the NFL this weekend, and how can we make some money on them? She is Chelsea Messenger. I'm Michael Jenkins. That is on the Daily Tip from BetQL, presented by BetMGM. When we come back. Chelsea and Jenks will be right back on the Daily Tip, presented by BetMGM. On the BetQL Network. Welcome back to the Daily Tip, presented by BetMGM. With Michael Jenkins and Chelsea Messenger on the BetQL Network. Welcome back. It is a Thursday on the Daily Tip from BetQL, presented by BetMGM. I'm Michael Jenkins in orange. She's Chelsea Messenger in coral. Not pre-planned. If you're watching us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash BetQL, we look very similar. We will get into NFL playoff futures in a moment. Super wildcard weekend is approaching. I want to hear your take on who you're taking. I'm not a huge futures person. And then I get confused because I like a guy, but also you have to balance that out between, all right, I think this guy might perform, but how far will his team go in the postseason? But I wanted to go back to Nick Saban for a bit here. And of course, Nick Saban coached in the NFL for a couple seasons with the Dolphins, with 15 and 17 during two years. But Chelsea, you covered Nick Saban. And I did not realize my first interview in local TV was, I believe, some high school kid. Your first interview as a local television journalist, sports journalist, was with Nick Saban. How did that go down and how intimidated were you, if at all? Yeah, I was fresh out of college. I was at an internship in Montgomery, Alabama. My first day, which I was already nervous, you know, it's your first day. They're like, hey, uh, Nick Saban is speaking at this banquet or this fundraiser. Can you go there with the camera and get an interview with him for the show? And I was like, "Mm, sounds simple enough, right? All I have to do is go to this place that I've never been to in a city Mm -hmm. that I am brand spanking new to. And go up to one of the best uh, head coaches in all of college football and say, hey, can I get an interview? Shouldn't be that hard, right? Yeah, I was very intimidated because this is at the time when Nick Saban was still chewing off reporters' heads. Uh, I had seen all the clips. I knew who he was, and I knew how he had kind of treated the media. At that point, it was like the rat poison days where he did not have a great relationship with the media. 
But I will say this. There were plenty of head coaches that kind of were dismissive towards me because I was a female and because I was young. But Nick Saban was not one of those coaches. I'll give him this. He treated everybody exactly the same. It didn't matter if you were a long tenured reporter at Sports Illustrated or somebody just out of college. If you asked a good question, he would answer it. Mm -hmm. If you asked a dumb question, he would call you out. So I do respect him for that. And I think that is the hallmark of winners is when they hold everybody around them to a higher standard. Wasn't that one of the knocks on like Michael Jordan is that he was so competitive and so Mm -hmm. fiery that if you didn't bring your best to practice, he'd call you out. Same with Kobe Bryant. So it felt to me it was less of him just being like a mean person, but more of that. Yeah, I I get that. And it, and it is interesting to see coaches like players, like journalists. Everyone sort of evolves over time. And you're right in that early on, he was a very intimidating figure. And he'll always carry that gravitas with him mm-hmm. because of who he is. I read yesterday on Twitter, and I love this story, and it was from some book written about Nick Saban, and someone screen captured the page. And he was talking about lessons that he wanted to impart upon his players. And one thing he would always say is, you need to be in bed by midnight. Don't go around screwing around, hanging out with people who have less to lose than you. Because if you have a future, if you want to have a future in college football and pro football, you need to hang around better people. And so, of course, everyone knows his wife, Miss Terry. And so he told the locker room, do not date women who have less to you, to lose than you. He goes, if I'm going to leave Miss Terry, I'm going to date Hillary effing Rodham Clinton. So his point, and he said the, the entire locker room just lost it. And his point was... If you're going to make a mistake, you better fall up. Don't fall back. So be careful about what you do. And a player who responded to that said it was hilarious, but also it was a great lesson. So that's just a small insight into the things he would say and the little nuggets that he would impart upon his players that had an effect. That's why he transcends college football, because when you have somebody like that, even the fact that I got to just sit and listen to the press conferences it felt like I was learning a lesson every single time because these Mm -hmm. type of high achievers, even if you're not a sports fan, I feel like he has been intertwined in so many, you know, business people and, you know, high achievers that it's not just a sports thing. Like he has come to speak to businesses just for Mm -hmm. his mindset. So you can learn so much by these type of people just by being in the room with them. So I felt really lucky that I got to take all of that in. Uh, as a young reporter. I think it was a great experience for me, and especially somebody who, obviously I didn't play football. So somebody who could speak so eloquently and obviously knew you know, everything there was to know about football, and he didn't hold back. So it caused me to raise my game because I had to cover somebody like that because he held everybody to such a high standard. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. 
Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. No question. And even Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, who got his second chance with Nick Saban. Remember that he had been fired from USC, had a drinking problem, and was sort of out in the ether, didn't have a place to go. And then Saban brings him in as an analyst. Sark becomes the offensive coordinator. When Zanatti comes to Texas, and all of the time, if you hear Sark speak, and this goes for a lot of coaches in the Nick Saban tree, they will say, well, this is what Coach Saban taught me. Or, Mm -hmm. you know what Coach Saban says, don't take that rat poison. So whether it's Sark or anyone else that has been a part of Nick Saban's existence in college football over the course of his career, you hear and you see the influence of Nick Saban everywhere. Yeah, look at the Nick Saban coaching tree. Like, is there a single head coach in college football right now? Uh, Well, I guess I can think of a few. But I would say like 60% of the successful head coaches in college football come from some kind of influence of Nick Saban. This is why I feel like this is even more momentous than when Tom Brady retired. Because there are Mm -hmm. so many people that obviously Tom Brady influenced people as well, but it's not quite as concrete. Like, how many coaches right. came from the Nick Saban coaching tree? You got Kirby Smart, Dan Lanning. Uh, let's see. Um, why can't I name anymore? Uh, Lane Kiffin. Oh, man. There's a touch. Sark is another one. I just mentioned him. They're all over the place. And I'm trying to remember some of the other players here. I'm looking. I believe. Does Chris Stobel under the Nick Saban coaching tree? I forget. Mario Th- they're everywhere. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Everywhere. Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher. There's another one. That's a big one. He's won a national title. Yeah, champ. Absolutely. No question about it. Jason Garrett, Dan Quinn. We see Dan Quinn. He's up for maybe the Seattle head coaching job after Pete Carroll got reassigned, I would say, within the organization. So, yeah, they're, they're all over the place and just a testament to the head coach he was and really is after walking away from Alabama last night. Let's look at NFL playoff futures, Chelsea, and there are a whole host of bets you can make at BetMGM. Let's start with most receiving yards, and we can just go from there. But the favorite to have the most receiving yards in the NFL playoffs is CeeDee Lamb, plus 185. And it's not close, because after that, there is a drop-off to Tyreek Hill and Amon Ross St. Brown at plus 750 then it's Brandon Ayuk plus eight fifty, Stephon Diggs eleven to one, AJ Brown twelve to one. So, when you look at most receiving yards, how are you going to play this? Because I said this earlier, you've got to balance. Well, this receiver will likely have the most yards, but his team needs to go a long way in the postseason. That's a delicate balancing act. Right. So it's a couple handicaps kind of built into one. So the reason that CeeDee Lamb is the favorite is because Dallas looks to be the best team that doesn't have a first round bye. So they have the opportunity to play the most games of the, you know, tier one teams. And also it is a pass heavy offense where CeeDee Lamb is uh, squarely the guy. Let's look at some long shots, though. I think both you and I are a little bit on the Rams train, which, you know, it's a long Mm -hmm. shot team in general, but still they have a chance to possibly play three or four games and look at their passing offense and look at the situation that they get in the first round going against a weak Lions secondary and they're playing indoors. So if you look at Puka Nakua, he is 30 to one. 
So that's quite the long shot. Somebody who maybe the Rams don't make it all the way to the Super Bowl, but if it is somebody in the Super Bowl who has a first round bye, that's the same amount of games that the Lions would have played. So a pass-heavy offense, Puka Nakua has really emerged. He's not necessarily the big name. I was kind of surprised to see that Cooper Cup was, I believe, no, he wasn't higher on this list. Uh, He was right behind him, and Cooper Cup hasn't Mm -hmm. looked exactly like himself this year. So I'll go Puka Nakua, 30-1. to Ooh. I'm looking around, and I'm trying to figure out. I am terrible at stuff like this. I cannot figure it out. I... I think Tyreek Hill is crazy overvalued. The second favorite at plus 750. Dolphins are going to be one and done this weekend, I believe. And also, we'll get to this later on in the show, it's going to be frigid in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. So will the Dolphins be able to truly throw the ball? And I'm not talking about, ooh, it's going to be 20. We're talking about wind chill of negative 10 in Kansas City on Saturday. So I would not put my money on Tyreek Hill at all. I am interested in Stephon Diggs at 11 to 1. But do I believe the Bills have what it takes? Yeah, maybe. I've been on the Bills train for a while. They certainly have the talent there. Can they really get it done in the AFC because the Ravens are so good? If you think they can, 11 to 1 for Stephon, not bad. I'm trying to think if I can figure out who they're playing in the next round because it's like the higher seed and whatnot. Because obviously in the first round, it does look like the Bills will probably be advancing past the Steelers. Mm -hmm. And there's no TJ Watt there as well. So that just overall makes it a lot easier to do whatever you want on the offense as opposed to, you know, having the best player on the field available on the defense. So I think that's a good look. I think there's a reason he's a little higher up on the odds board. But you're right. Tyree Kill, the second favorite here, that's kind of shocking to me because they're yeah. not even favored to win the first game. Although Tyree Kill is definitely one of those guys that can put up, you know, 250 in a single game. Sure. But this is not the conditions that really point to that. Like you said, it is going to be very, very cold. What about Amon Ross St. Brown? Because, you know, obviously this goes against my Rams play, yeah. but another pass heavy offense. In the Lions, they're playing indoors. He's a good receiver. Yeah, I was looking at that as well. I think my question is, I think you and I both like the Rams at plus three. But do we like the Rams to pull the outright upset? And I have to say, I kind of do. So if you're wanting to make this bet, if you think the Lions are going to beat the Rams and you think the Lions can make a run, by all means, Amon Ross St. Brown at plus 750 is good value. Because he is clearly the number one when it comes to that Lions receiving staff and the primary target for Jared Goff, especially with Sam Laporta out for mm-hmm. the remainder of the season with his knee injury. Or if he might play, but he's super banged up. So that means even more targets potentially for St. Brown. But I don't know about the Lions winning this weekend. That's why I would stay away. But if you like Detroit, I do think it's a good bet. Quick aside. Does it worry mm-hmm. you at all that it looks like the Rams are going to be the square dog of the weekend? Because uh, every yeah. time I tell somebody about, yeah, let's take the Rams plus three, they're like, yeah, that was my, one of my first instincts. And these are people who do not bet for a living. These are huh. people that go to my gym. These are people that, you know, are casual NFL fans. When those people agree with you, you're like, Oh, great. Does that make you nervous at all when you see like the entire public on a team that you like? Yes, all (laughs) the time. 
When I see everyone on a bet, I'm like, mm, wait a second. Wait. It, it was the, honestly, it was the only reason why, going back to last year for a moment, that I liked the Chiefs because I saw everyone on the Eagles. And I know the game was close, but I was like, mm, I like the Eagles too. But doesn't everyone like the Eagles? So having said that, it's the same situation here. It's the same principle, which is I don't know anybody who's on the lines. I mean, I'm sure there are some people. But I'm like you. Everyone I talk to is like, oh, yeah, Rams, live dog. Rams, live dog. Rams, live dog. Watch Detroit win by 20. <laughs> I also haven't heard of anybody on the Dolphins. Like, every single factor is pointing against them. And yeah. it's the same deal. Like, by process of elimination, I feel like I'm picking the Chiefs. Like, I'm not picking the Chiefs because I like the Chiefs. I am picking the Chiefs because the Dolphins have so many things going against them. But here's yeah. the thing about the Chiefs. We have seen them, you know, lose some really bad games this year. Their receivers have really cost them down the stretch. So I like the Chiefs this weekend, but that is the asterisk, uh, asterisk involved with playing the Chiefs. I don't think I've seen anybody on the Dolphins. No, I think that's right. And also, it's, I do believe, whereas you can make a case for the Lions, and certainly you can make a case for either side in any game because the number is the number. But I feel like compared to Rams-Lions, it's a lot harder to make a case for the Dolphins, particularly in cold weather away from Miami. Coming up next year on the show is now the time to throw down some cash on Wimby since he's getting plus money at that MGM. We're going to talk about NBA futures on the Daily Tip. Stay right there. Chelsea and Jenks will be right back on the Daily Tip presented by Bet MGM on the BetQL Network. Let's get back to the Daily Tip with Chelsea Messenger and Michael Jenkins, presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. Welcome back to the show. It's a Thursday. Turn it up, Double D. Presented by BetMGM. Coming up, where we might just put our money when it comes to NBA futures. Chelsea, we started our show, came in hot, talking about the retirement of Nick Saban. You once again won your best bet last night. It's basketball related. So since we did not go over that at the top of the show, do you want to tell the people about your winner last night? These mid-major basketball bets of yours have been on fire. I know you hate it when I supposedly jinx you on the air, but I can give you props here. They've been coming home at an astounding rate. Yeah, Troy, a winner last night on the money line. Mm. Should have just taken him on the spread, minus two and a half. This line opened at one and a half, moved to two and a half. And I think that's the first thing you look for when you are looking at smaller basketball games. And by smaller, I just mean not the big name blue chip schools. Because if there's line movement in a game, it means somebody's betting on something and somebody is paying attention to some sort of discrepancy when it comes to this line. So uh, I'm glad it was a winner. We'll see if I can continue this run. Uh, but yeah, that was a nice little win, but definitely not the story of the day. I feel kind of stupid. Be like, yeah, but my Troy basketball play. Hit. Hey, it's They're still like, hit. Have, 
have you seen the headlines? You you don't want to talk? Nah, Troy basketball. Let's do it. Let's go. You're still two and one for the week, and going back a few weeks, I know you're way on top. I went one and one in hockey. Donkster went zero and two. So for the week, again, you're two and one. I'm four and one. Donkster two and four. I love going head to head against the Donkster, which I did last night. Coming home with a win. I had the Avs. He had the Knights, and the Avs won three nothing. That dumb Donkster. Well, let's talk. NBA now, because I think it's a fascinating topic when you're looking at NBA futures as to whether or not there's any value on Spurs rookie Victor Wimbanyama. Last night, Wimby, now this was against the Pistons. This was against a Pistons team playing without Cade Cunningham, but he had his first ever triple-double, did it in less than 21 minutes, 16 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists, and a 130-108 to win over Detroit. You know, by the way, when the Spurs are cooking you, you got some problems. Again, Kate Cunningham out, but Detroit is just so bad this season. However, if you look at the Rookie of the Year odds at that MGM, Chet Holmgren of the Thunder, minus money, minus 210, and then Wimby just sitting there, just sitting there waiting for you to gobble him up at plus 150. Would you take a shot on Wimby now that you get him at plus money, or do you think that Holmgren is going to hold out throughout the remainder of the season? Yeah, I think you definitely take whoever's at plus money. Doesn't it feel like a Mm -hmm. two-person race here? So it's only January. We still have plenty of season left. And for somebody who has had injury concerns like Chad Holmgren, there's a chance, you know, that he could get hurt down the stretch. I'm not rooting for it, but I'm just saying for another player who is also getting better down the stretch, because isn't that the the biggest thing for Wimby is that he still yeah. has so much potential. And you've got to remember, isn't he a teenager? This is his first season in America and his first season in huh. the NBA. So it just still feels like there is so much that he can still get better at. And we're seeing it each and every night. It's not just against the Pistons. He had a great game against Giannis and the Bucks the other night. So I think you play whoever's plus money. Maybe at one point these odds flip and you can mm-hmm. get both sides. You know, this is ca- kind of how I feel like you play the MVP race as well. You know, when it if it is neck and neck between Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. You take whoever's plus money or, you know, the longer odds and then you wait to see if somebody has a stretch where they become the favorite, and then you take the other side at plus money and find a way to win regardless of who wins the MVP. So, yeah, Wimby plus 150, I think that's the play right now. I think so. And you mentioned how young he is. He turned 20 on January the Uh, 4th. Yeah, so a week ago. No longer a teenager. No longer a teenager. It's time to get out of the house grow up and go play some professional basketball, Wimby. That's remarkable to me. It, it, it really is that this kid is only 20 years old. It reminds me, I don't know if you've ever seen this clip, and it's very, very early on in Giannis's career when Giannis was, I don't know if he was a teenager, but I think he was like 20, 21 and you could see it's only a matter of time before this guy is going to be an absolute rock star on the NBA. And so it's, I think it's Giannis getting ready to inbounds a ball. And someone on the opposing team's bench says, hey, man, how old are you? And you see Giannis turn around and say, 20. 
And the guy on the bench goes, damn. <laughs> and everyone knows, like, oh, my God, you're already this good. You're going to be such a problem here in a couple years, if not sooner. And already we're seeing that. So your point is well taken. You take the guy plus money and hope that that comes home. And we probably will see these go back and forth as the season progresses. What about the NBA title? Are you willing to put any sort of cash on an NBA future when it comes to an NBA champion the Celtics continue to be the leaders at plus 325 Nuggets right behind it plus 425 Bucks are plus 450 then you have the Clippers at 11 to 1 Sixers at 12 to 1 Suns at 12 to 1 T-Wolves at 18 to 1 and Thunder at 22 to 1 any of these teams interest you I, I do have to say the Suns at 12 to 1 I find to be an absolute stay away I understand they're not fully healthy, but even fully healthy, I'm not a believer in Phoenix. So immediately, that's one team I would eliminate if I'm looking to put my money somewhere. Yeah, I think the play here and the gambling community, they be knowing about the Oklahoma huh. City Thunder. Doesn't it feel like the market is still too low on this squad of young superstars? Yeah. Because if you look at them against the spread, 24, 11, and 1, which means the market has been too low. They've got a bona fide superstar in, in Shea Gilgis Alexander. And then I think the reason they are priced the way that they are, which, you know, it's pretty long odds. They are 22 to 1 is because they're coming out of the West. And of course, it's going to be really hard to take down the defending champs, the Denver Nuggets. But in two matchups so far this season, Oklahoma City has already beaten the Nuggets twice which is kind of shocking to me. I thought to myself, okay, did, you know, Nikola Jokic not play? No, we played in both of those games. So they've shown that they can match up pretty well against the defending champs. I know it's not the same thing as playing a seven-game series, but still, when you're giving me 22, or excuse me, 18 to 1 on this young team that feels like they're still flying under the radar, I think I'll go that route. Let's go Thunder. I like the Thunder Quite a bit. And you can get them if you don't like them to win the title. You can get them to win the Western Conference, I believe, at 11-1. to 1. Let me ask you about this. What do you think about the Clippers? 11-1 to 1 right now. Last week they were 12-1. to 1, And I want to hate on the Clippers so much. Kawhi signed an extension yesterday. Three years, I believe $154 million. But everyone's healthy. They made that trade for... James Harden, initially, it looked like an awful move. I believe they went 0-5. And now, all of a sudden, the Clippers are playing really good basketball. It's hard for me to get on board with a team that initially I was like, ah, these guys again. But is it different for the Clippers this year? They were sort of the it team or a team that we thought, okay, this is their year. This is their year. But that was two or three years ago. Is this the year that the Clippers actually make a run? Maybe. And at this price, I think it's worth a look because they have the superstar who has been not a one man ban, but certainly mm -hmm. the catalyst in bringing an NBA championship to the Toronto Raptors. Kawhi Leonard swooped in like a mercenary and turned that team around. So obviously the top end potential has always been there for the Clippers with Paul George yeah. and Kawhi Leonard. The problem is they just don't play all the time. And mm -hmm. obviously that's going to be the X factor is how healthy they will be down the stretch. So I think the potential is there. I think the price is right at 12 to one. And if you are taking some of these long shots, you can pick more than one. 
And if one of them win, you know, you win some money. So I think you look at it that way. If you're going for long shots, you pick a few. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Last one, MVP, the Joker leading the way at plus 175, SGA at 3-1, to one. Luka plus 425, Joel Embiid, the reigning MVP at plus 425, Giannis is 16-1, to one. Jason Tatum at 30-1. to one. I keep going back to SGA. Am I being too much of a square here because his odds keep shortening and the Thunder are clearly a very good team this year? But then again, the Joker is right there. He's won it twice, but I feel like that maybe this is the year that Shea Gilgis Alexander finally takes home the trophy, but I feel like a lot of people are on that bet too. (sighs) That's a tough one. I think these two players are definitely the favorites for a reason, but there are little narratives that kind of go into this award, and I think the sub-narrative this year is that Nikola Jokic had an MVP season last year. And because Joel Mm -hmm. Embiid won it, obviously two players can't win it. And down the stretch, Nikola Jokic looked like clearly the most valuable player in the entire NBA. I know this is supposed to be a regular season award, but you can't wipe away people's memories and you can't wipe away, you know, their connotations that come with the Joker. So I think that's why Nikola Jokic is your favorite. I think this is too short of a prize for me to play in the month of January. I wouldn't talk you off uh, SGA because it's been such a great storyline seeing Oklahoma City rise up as one of the better teams in the West. And like I said, they've taken down the Nuggets twice already this season. I'm kind of shocked that Giannis is 14 to 1 here. Like he's having Mm -hmm. a great season too. Uh, It feels like he's very much flying under the radar. Joel Embiid, I think the injury concerns are there. It will be interesting for sure, but I do think it's probably Nikola Jokic. Yeah, I think so. It's Jokic, SGA, Luka maybe. Now, Luka's not going to play tonight. He has an ankle injury, but I feel like he always has some sort of ankle injury that keeps him out for a few games each season. If you're worried about injury, he's Joel Embiid, always someone you have to factor that into your handicap. He's missed a few games already this year. He's done that in the past, so that's always the risk with the reigning MVP. Coming up next here on the show. We're going to do NFL news as the coaching merry-go-round continues. And the NCAA actually puts a stop to another bowl game. I can't believe it. That is next on the Daily Tip from BeckQL, presented by BetMGM. For more, listen to the Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9 Eastern on the BeckQL Network, the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your podcasts.